Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Smy Street Church Weekly Podcast. Pastor Werner is speaking today. You know, no matter your background, your age, or your story, we believe that you matter, and we would love to have you as part of the SSC family. So why not join in? Head to our website, ssc.church, and click the I'm New button. As we listen together, we hope that you'll be inspired to follow Jesus. Let's head on in. Today I want to talk about a subject that's been on my heart for a long time, and it's this word that we call church. And I believe that today there is a a serious confusion as to the proper meaning and use of the word church. I think this word is, is actually misused, confused, abused, and greatly devalued. I, you know, I, I told the staff I, that I, as a lead pastor, want to declare war on the misuse of the word church. Um, there, there is in, in me a deep passion and a conviction that we need to get this word right. And we need to know what is the church Who is the church? Why is the church? So this morning, uh, we're going to read a passage from uh, Colossians, and Barry Call is going to come, and he's going to be our our reader. And and Barry, um, your mic is down here, but the... the, um, And I know, Barry, that you are um, a connoisseur of proper use of words. You need to stand over here because the light just came on you now. (laughs) You feel the pressure. (laughs) Uh, Barry's an elder in our church and a friend of mine as well. (laughs) But Barry, you love love grammar and words and that's important to you. Words matter. And the reason I bring this up it's because words create image and they create, um, they create emotion and they create action. And if we get a word wrong, if we get a word wrong, it creates the wrong action and the wrong understanding. And I was thinking of, uh, of, of the word condescending. What, 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 what would you define in today's term condescending? Uh, looking down upon. So kind of snobbing, right? Would you all agree that, that he's, he's, he's being condescending? But here's the interesting thing. The word condescending has evolved from its original meaning to actually mean the opposite of what it used to mean. So condescending, when it first came out, like it, it appears in, the, in King James... It appears, um, I, I wrote it down so you could see it, Romans 12, 16, King James 1900. It, it says, be of the same mind, one towards another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. So if we're to define the word as kind of being snob, well, that would have a real problem, wouldn't it? But, but, but the thing is, condescending, the word condescending, used to mean 
to get off your high horse. And now it describes, the evolution of words is quite interesting, isn't it? Because, because now the, the new King James says, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. <laughs> Do you see the shift in meaning? It's just really huge. Here's another one. Hell. What do you think of hell? What would... Not your theological... Not your theological... Term, but what, what normally would people think of hell? Uh, so it's not what I think of, but I think most people in the secular world would think of uh, devils and pitchforks and fire. How, how many would, 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 would agree with that? You know, hell would be torture and you know, fire and brimstone and that kind of thing. But here's the interesting thing. The word hell has evolved. The original word hell meant under the ground. It, you know, was used in the old German uh, word for till, to turn the ground. And so hell originally in the English language meant anybody that goes into the grave, good or bad. They went to hell. And so look at how that's changed, you know? Because in the original, the word hell in art is, comes from Dante's Inferno, that kind of... Uh, have you read that? I knew you would have read that. Part of it. Part of it. Is it pretty... Uh, it, it's hard going. <laughs> okay, so the, 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 the old Apostles' Creed, so it says this, and I put it on the screen. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and descended to hell. And so if we have the definition in our mind, we have this image that Jesus goes down into the fire, and he comes up and he throws the demons aside. And then he grabs Satan by the neck and he says, give me the keys. And, and Satan, you know. And, and the problem with that is it's not biblical. The word hell, when it was used in the King James, it, it was defining what they understood the word hell mean the grave. And so now the new Apostles' Creed says... He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and descended to the dead. So does the Bible teach about a place of punishment? Of course, we, we know that there is justice, and God will do justice. But this idea of hell that Dante's Inferno has is not a biblical term. What I'm saying, all of this is to say this, the word church has suffered a similar evolution to mean something entirely different than what it originally was intended for. So Barry's going to read from Colossians uh, chapter 1. And in that passage, church is mentioned two times. Colossians 1, 1 to, is it 28 or something like that? <clears throat> if you want to read in your Bible, it's NIV, I think we're using but, but it, and, and so the whole idea is that we want to rediscover, rediscover the true meaning of the word church. All right?
You ready for that? Are you with me? All right. Barry, you're on. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing amongst you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister. That's even smaller. I would, I would need my glasses to do this. <laughs> I kind of need my glasses to do that too, but... So far, I I think I'm doing all right. Uh, But if I make a big mistake, somebody let me know. Okay. Our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that, gives, that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so I really like this next part. Uh, and when Werner called me yesterday and asked if I would read this, I did a little bit of research um, about it and uh, was reminded that this, this next part is actually a poem. Um, and uh, so I wish we could have the words in Greek. If we understood Greek, I would read it to you in Greek. But it's still very beautiful uh, in English. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known amongst the Gentiles the glorious riches of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. You know, Barry, we could go home after reading that and it would be so full of richness. That is packed full of amazing stuff. You could actually, you, we could actually do a whole series on this chapter for, the, for a year. It's so packed full of amazing stuff. Thank you, Barry. Give him a hand. If you look at a dictionary today, it, and, and, I, and I haven't looked at them all, but if you look at a few dictionaries and you look up the word church, the first definitions that you're going to get that would be kind of what we would call secular understanding of the word church are going to, are going to give you a couple of things. Number one, they're going to say the church is a building for public Christian worship. And they're going to say the church is a Christian religious service. Now the first one, a public, in, you know, a public Christian worship, that's part of our culture. We, we understand that as our culture. Um, if you're driving along the country or across Canada and you come across an image like this one, you, you would, you would, what would you say that is? Everybody would say that's a church. You know? Yeah, I know somebody over here said church building. But most people would say it's a church building. Would you agree with me? Yeah. Or if you were going down Smy Street and you looked over and you saw this next picture, some people would say that is a... 
Especially because it says it on the sign, right? It's my street church. And so there it is right on our sign. This is my street church. Which is interesting in the context of what I'm going to talk to you about. The second definition, you know, the first one is the building. The place you go to get married and buried and all that good stuff. The second definition is public Christian worship of God or a Christian religious service. And people would say something like, um, do you attend church regularly? Or you, you might say something like, were you in church last week? Or you might say something like, uh, uh, what time does your church start? And, and your church start. And, and, and this, this understanding of what we did or what we're doing this morning is, is often defined as we're doing church. And there's different styles. There's liturgical church um, where, where, you know, like Roman Catholic, Anglican, uh, Eastern Orthodox, etc., liturgical style church. And they have their, 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 their rituals and they have their way. And I'm not judging that or condemning that. There's beauty in all of that. Or there's conservative churches that are more the, the Protestant churches where they have the hymns and, and it's, you know, you, you just, it, it has a more conservative approach. Or there is um, what we would call um, contemporary church or some people would call charismatic church. And, and these are all ways that we do church. We call that. We do church. Our style, our, our music, the order of service. The, the, way, the way we raise our hands. I watched some of you raising your hands and worshiping God. And the way we, or our band plays. And they did, didn't they do an amazing job? Just a beautiful, worshipful sense of God's presence in, in, in what, what they were doing. But that is also culture. The, I love it. I love the way things are done. That someone gets up and preaches. That is part of our culture. And, and the way we do our songs and the sound we have, the music we have. We call that, oh, that's church, but that's the way we do church. If, if um, for example, if we were to take the Apostle Paul and put him in a time machine and shift him and land him right here, he would look around and he would go, what is happening? What is this? Because he would not relate to any of this. He would not relate to the music. He would say, what kind of music is that? Because they had, this afternoon, we were, we were, I'm going to be speaking at the African service that is here at three. Trust me, they do church different. And it's pretty cool. But, but they dress different. Their music is different. But that's what they call church. And if you go to different parts of North America, you will, you, you will see people do church different. And he, they even say it different. We're doing church. You know, it's like church, you know. And it's, and it's this cultural thing. But the question is, is that what the Bible is talking about when it says church? And, and you say no, because it's so well, but if it isn't, then why do we call it that? See, that, that's, that's the interesting question. In our reading, there was verse 18, if you notice, it says that he, talking about Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. All through 
all kinds of verses in the New Testament refer to the church as being the body of Christ on earth. So that's, that's amazing when you think about it. Here, here's 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, for you, you are the body of Christ and each one of you, you can turn to somebody and say, guess what? You're the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. Eve's is the body of Christ. Bill is the body of Christ. And how many know that Eve's and Bill are quite different? That was funny. Just so you know. Because anybody who knows them knows they're quite different. But they're both the body of Christ. The implication here is just amazing. The body of Christ is not this building. The body of Christ is not the stuff that we do here. The body of Christ has nothing to do with how we do church. Church is the body of Christ. And if you want to have a definition of a biblical definition of church, here it is. The church is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can you say it with me? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's an amazing thing when you understand, when you understand this, because when we think of church as something that happens on Sunday in this building, when we think of church as an event, when we think of church as a presentation, something that we come to, what happens is that we become consumeristic. The sermon becomes a lecture, a spiritual TED talk. When we think of churches as this event or this presentation or this production that we do, then the music becomes an artistic interpretation. When we think of church as, as this thing that we call and that we attend to, then, then the congregants become observers. They become spectators. But whereas when we understand the church the way the Bible defines the church as the body of Christ, then we understand that you are the hands of Jesus. You are the legs of Jesus. You are the feet of Jesus. You are the eyes of Jesus. And you take Jesus where you go. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In the second place, the word church appears in our reading is verse 24. It says, Paul says, I rejoice. I find that amazing. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul is writing from a prison. He has suffered persecution. He has suffered stoning. He has suffered beatings. He has been chased like a wild man. And he says, the, the reason I suffer this is for the sake of the gospel to the Gentiles, the church. He is considering his sufferings as part of Christ's sufferings 
for the sake of Christ's body, the church. He's not talking about the, the finished work atonement of Christ on the cross. We know that Jesus finished that task. In fact, he said, it is finished. But he's talking about this, this, the fact that Jesus said, the gospel will be preached and there will be persecution. And through suffering comes victory. Jesus himself said, in the world you will have tribulation. And the gospel has always been spread through tribulation and affliction. And that is the suffering of Christ through his church. But be of good cheer, says Jesus, I have overcome the world. Paul is saying, I rejoice. I am delighted. I am happy to suffer for the sake of this building? For the sake of what we do this morning? For the sake of Smy Street Church? No, for the sake of you. 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 For the sake of each one of us who is the body of Christ, the church of Jesus in the world. I'm glad we're not in a very conservative church, but you can say amen as high as you can because that is liberating news. Because when you understand that you are the church, you are now on an adventure journey. You are now walking out Jesus in the world. The church in the world is here because of the sacrifice of not only the apostles and the early church, the martyrs, but the sacrifice over over years of people that have been afflicted, people that have suffered with joy for the sake of the church, the body of Christ in the world. We are here, thankful to them, thankful to people that came before us, they, this whole sacrifice started with Jesus that he made for the church. Look at Ephesians. I love this little line of Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved, can you say it, read with me out loud. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wow. You talk about value, the value you have, the value we have. Paul, when he's talking to the pastors and elders uh, of the church in Ephesus, he says, keep, he says this, keep watch for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which, can you read that with me? Which he purchased with his own blood. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of my responsibility as a pastor. I'm very aware of the fact that, that the Holy Spirit has called me to do what I do. And all the pastors take this very seriously. That the people we pastor have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. And they're not our congregation. They are his and his church. And so that, that changes how we look and how we view the, the, the importance of, of, 
valuing who is before us. But that also speaks to how you and you and you and you have to treat each other. Because if this is the body of Christ, the person sitting beside you is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's how we need to treat each other. Can somebody say amen to that? He said, he said to Peter, he said, you are Peter. Which in Aramaic, in the, in the kind of old Hebrew dialect, it, it meant rock or stone. And on this rock or stone, I will build whose church? My church. And the gates of Hades, and the word here is, is Hades. It's not Gehenna, or which is the hell punishment thing. It's, it's, it's the grave. The power of the grave will not overcome it. We sang about it. That Jesus came out of the grave and he triumphantly beats and won the power over the grave. And the grave will not hold back the church. The grave will not hold back the church. And there's no question. He said, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. There's no question that Peter became one of the fundamental stones of the church along with the apostles. But here's more what he says. You are, it's Ephesians 2.19. You are members, talking about the church. You are members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Then the apostle Peter says, you are living stones. This right here is, is, is a, one of the type of stones that's on the outside of our church. Did you hear what I said? Outside of our... See how it embeds into our system? You got it? All right? You, it's going to be hard to change all that thinking. But this is not what Jesus died for. He didn't die for bricks or mortar. He didn't die for, for wood. He didn't die for steel. He didn't die for any of that. He died for people. And you are living stones that are being built upon to build the real temple, the real church, the real cathedral of God in the world. It's you guys. It's fantastic when you understand that. You are living stone. Do you know that the, the Christian, Christianity never had a church building for two or three hundred years? You know, oh, how did they do that? How did they do that? They, they gathered under trees or in fields or in houses wherever they would gather, because they understood that the building is not the deal. The building is only where we go. The real church is the people. And so God doesn't live in a building. Let me say it again. God doesn't live in a building. He lives in you. You're the building. God doesn't have an address. It's not 913 Smythe Street. It is your address. Wherever you are, that's where he lives. That's where he is. That's where his dwelling is. Prime, where did, where, what's your address? 105 what? 105 Lori Lynn. 
You know that that's God's address too? That's God's address, Prem. And you know it, don't you? And he lives in that, that address. He lives in your address. That is the church. Is, is, is. And so when, look, today, in a few minutes, I shouldn't say a few minutes because some of you are going to talk forever at the end, which is wonderful. I love it. But when we live, leave the building, guess what? The church will have left the building. And where will it go? It will go to your job. It will go to your house. It will go to your school. It will go wherever you go. The church will be rubbing shoulders with the world. That's where Jesus wants us to be. Wherever you are. If you're driving a taxi, the church will be driving a taxi. If you're driving a truck, the church will be driving a truck. If you're working on a house in your carpentry work, the church is building houses with people. This afternoon, the, the African brothers and sisters will gather here and then we'll be able to say the church is back in this building. But when they leave, and they probably leave earlier today because I'm preaching, and they, When they leave, we'll be able to say, the church has left the building. When you go to the parking lot, look at someone and say, look at the people are leaving the building. The church is leaving the building. Amen? What is the definition of a church again? Nah, nah, nah. I'll give you a definition. Put it on the screen. Can you take that with you today? Can you remind yourself today, you are the church, you are Christ, and you, the hope of glory. I remember, I remember when I was a kid, there was all kinds of interesting criteria when you went to church. For a woman to go to church in slacks, that was terrible. You'll wear slacks out there, but not in the house of God. You weren't allowed to chew gum in church. Bill, you remember that? I remember when women, women, here's a funny one. You couldn't wear red to church if you were a woman. There's a woman said, what? <laughs> it was something to do with the harlot in Revelation. I don't know. Some weird thing. Some of the women, they used to wear big hats. I don't know if you remember the big hats the women wore. You had to wear, why you had, women had to cover their head. It was a shame for, for a woman to cover their head. And it was a shame for a man to wear a hat in church. I'm sensing persecution here. (laughs) But here's what I want to tell you. That is fine. If you want to believe you can't chew gum in church, that's fine. But it has nothing to do with church. It's just your idea of what church is. You got distracted, right? Did you hear what I said? Edward, you're sitting right there. Years ago, there was a young guy came in the church and sat right there and he had a hat on. 
And somebody came down and said to him, by the way, if, if you're offended with people wearing hats in church, that's because you're old. <laughs> just, just so you know. Because it was our generation. Because some of the hats young people wear, you correct me if I'm wrong, are more expensive than most of the clothes we wear. Some of them are pretty expensive hats. So that's their, that's their tie. That's, you know. But this young guy came and he sat right there and an usher came down. I, I, I found out about it a week or two later. Came down and told him, young man, this is the house of God. Take your hat off. And here's the backstory. Here's the backstory. The mother was sitting beside him. And she had worked on him. Charlie, you, you know the, the history of this. She had worked on this young guy to come to church because she wanted him to hear about Jesus and she had shared the Lord with him. And he finally came to... Finally came to church. And when they told him to take his hat off, Wes, you would know what I'm talking about too. When they told him to take his hat off, you know what the boy said? He leaned over to his mom and he said, I will never darken the door of another church in my life. And see, here's the thing. If we get this wrong, we, we don't understand that what really matters to Jesus isn't the hat. What really matters to Jesus is the head and the heart of that young man. And when you understand that, then you understand what the church is. You understand what the church is. The church isn't, isn't about what we do, and we do it fine. I'm not against that. I love it. I, I love the music, the band, everything. I love the whole thing. I love it. I love it. But I've been in South America. I've been in Europe. I've been in Africa. I've been all over the world, and they all do it different. And I love it all. And I, I just want you to know that you are the church, and your style is fine with me. And when I look around here, I say to myself, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. Look around you. Look at the variety of, of, of wonderful people around you. The body of Christ is absolutely amazing. And I love every minute of it. Let us close with this reminder. This video encapsulates everything I'm saying next week, I'm going to talk about why do we gather? Why do we do this? Why do we come on Sundays and do what we do? Watch this video and we close with this. Lately, it seems that we are getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. 
Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. leaving the building. Go and be the church in the hands and the feet of Jesus wherever you are. Amen? God bless you. Next week, we'll keep going. We're so glad that you've joined us. You know, you are part of something bigger, and we want to invite you to get involved, to really be part of the team. You can help make ministry happen either by volunteering or by financially partnering with us. If you'd like to give, you can head over to ssc.church slash give, and you can even sign up for automatic withdrawals so that you know that your money is consistently making a difference and you are inspiring others to follow Jesus. Why not start today? Head on over to ssc.church slash give and sign up today. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you in the week to come.